I feel such a spirit of anticipation here today. I really do. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. You may be seated. You, uh, God is so good. It, you ever have those moments where you know things can go a certain direction if you just let it go that direction? Uh, I felt that just a second ago. I, I felt that in the Holy Ghost that if we would have just continued in that path, where God was going to lead us was going to be powerful. Uh, the Lord has a word, but I'm thankful that his spirit is still moving. I'm thankful that when we come into his house, uh, we feel his spirit moving freely and we give room for it to move. Uh, much of what is happening and transpiring right now in America is you're seeing an awakening of the move of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm very grateful for that. And at the same time, I'm thankful that there was a group of people in America that never stopped letting the spirit of God move. So what I want to tell the rest of America is welcome aboard. It's the greatest thing you will ever experience in your life. There was reports of people at this Ashbury revival that is going on. This is the third such revival that has occurred at this university, the last one was in 1970. The one before that was in 1953. There were 13 universities throughout the course of the last 11 days that have been seeing such moves of God. And that's a powerful thing. Um, and I was studying on why this is occurring. Uh, not just in the general sense of prophecy, but is there something specific that God is alluding to? Well, I don't know um, if... Many of us recognize it. We're kind of glad to just be done with that season in our country. But uh, March 11th will be the date. Uh, we'll mark the anniversary, the third year anniversary of when America closed down. Uh, but it, it's this week. Actually, it started last week into this week when America became truly privy of COVID-19 in the general public. So let me uh, tell you what's significant about that. In 2020, everyone, as they began the year, said, we're going to see everything clearly. And boy, did we ever. Uh, but there's something powerful about the year 2023, and I want us to get it prophetically. I'm not going to preach about the numerology, but I wanted to point something out, is that we are going to three, almost exactly three years to the date by which the spirit of death moved into the United States of America. Uh, we can't miss the times. We can't miss what God is doing. God moves in two types of time. He moves in the chronos, which is where we get chronological, uh, which is progressive time. And he moves through the kairos, which is the fullness moments by which God designs in his divine will to bring about a certain thing. And we are in both of those times at the same time. Why is that? Because the number three is highly significant why is it significant the completion of the lineage of Israel came in threes that's why they call it the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob God's most significant messengers and angels there is three of them there is three cataclysmic moments in prophetic history we have gone through two of them the third one will be the rapture of the church three matters Three, the number three also means 
It is the number, watch this, there's actually two numbers of completion in numerology up to seven. One is the number seven, which is actually not just the number of completion, it's the number of perfection in completion. But there is a time when something is complete, but yet it is not perfected. You with me? You build a car completely and then you inspect it to make sure it's perfect. You make a dinner completely and then you put it on the plate so that it is perfect. And we, the number three, is the other number, which is the number of completion. I feel the Holy Ghost because I want you to get something else. The number of completion was the reason why Jesus waited three days to raise from the dead. Uh, because he said, I'm going to make sure when it's done, it's done. So he waits till the third day to get up. And that's the other powerful thing about the number three is it's not only a number of completion. Watch this. You're going to love this part because this explains Ashbury, Lee University, everything else that's happening. It's also the number of resurrection. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. See, God raises things up on the third day. But it's not just the number of resurrection. It's the number of declaration, which means that that is when God speaks loudly, when he does things in threes, when he brings about his move. Watch. He does things in threes and in perfect completion. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three in. He does things in threes. Not only is it the number of completion, not only is it the number of resurrection, not only is it the number of declaration. Watch this. It is also the number of revival. I wish somebody would get that. Because three years after death moved in, the Bible says that God looks at, at years, a day is as unto a thousand years, so a year is as unto a day. He waited three days to resurrect. It's been three days. It's been three days, three years since the spirit of death came into this country. And on this third year, we're seeing a resurrection like we've never seen before. We're seeing a revival. But what does that mean? That means that we are coming into the third day. I, I wish somebody would get this because God's getting ready to resurrect things you never thought would live again. God is getting ready to raise things up you thought would be buried forever. God's getting ready to restore things. See, the number of three also means revival, resurrection, and restoration. Somebody needs to get this because 2023 at PFAC is going to be a year of restoration. It's going to be a year of revival. I wish somebody would get excited. And it's going to be a year of resurrection. And if somebody believes with me, I wish you'd stand up for 10 seconds and say, I can't wait for things to get up, live again, and refuse to die. God is getting ready to bring a revival. On the third day, he got up. It's just about enough with the spirit of death. It's time to live again. Oh, my God. Just take 30 seconds. Come on. I wish you would prophesy to the winds, speak into the air, and tell it, get up, resurrect again. Woo, so don't be surprised. Come on. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I told you. If we just let the winds, if we just let the winds move a little bit. Come on, on the third day, there were earthquakes. The wind moved. God's getting ready to change some things. Oh, my God. You may be seated. I feel, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. 
I'm going to say this. You reserve the right to get up and do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. I feel the Holy Ghost. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. So there's no, there's no coincidence as to why this is occurring. There's no coincidence as to why this is happening. There's no coincidence as to why cities are beginning to discover the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We saw it in different segments of time. 1970, 1953, 1967, 1949 with the Greater Los Angeles Revival, 1906, 1896 before that with the Topeka, Kansas Revival. We are seeing it again, ladies and gentlemen. Here's, the, here's one thing about revival and outpouring when God decides to do it. He doesn't ask for permission. And he doesn't get our pre-qualification, neither our approval, if he's pouring it out onto the right people. And sometimes we, we as people of truth go, well, they're not like us. Why is God pouring it out there? Well, if you got it, what are you worried about? If you have it, why are you complaining somebody else is getting it? Use what God gave you. If we have the Holy Ghost, we feel the Holy Ghost every week here. There it was 11 days. They shut it down this morning. Here it's been going on in this church since these bricks got built up. It ain't going to stop until Jesus comes back. But with that, I feel also that there is an urgency in the spirit because the Holy Ghost does not release outpourings as he does without it being an awakening to the church. And whenever he's awakening the body of Christ, that's meaning that we can no longer afford to be asleep. When a war breaks out, you can't stay asleep in bed. When something's getting ready to leave and you're supposed to be on it, you can't stay asleep. If you stay asleep, it's very simple. You will be left and it will move forward. And God is telling the body of Christ, it's time to wake up. It's time to be alert and it's time to get to work. So with that, I, 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 we thank you for your prayers, for your support. We joke around often. I told Pastor Anthony, I think I'm going to visit the visitor's tent today. It's been two weeks in a row. He said, we would like that very much. <laughs> Go for the donuts, stay for the conversation. That's what we like to say. But what is happening? A month ago, we departed from Brazil. We were in Brazil, the country of Brazil, scouting for a mission trip that's happening. And at the same time, I went and scouted three cities that our goal is to put three missionaries into each of those cities. Excuse me, one in each of those cities, one in the city of Manaus, another one in the city of Macapá. These are all in northern Amazonia, and the other one in the city of Belém. God is doing something in the world, and he is moving throughout the world. We met with the doctors that we'll be working with in June, and when we had our meeting, we talked about everything we were going to do. We're going to help them purchase some boats to be able to take medical attention out to the villages that they're helping with. The, the, we are the hands and feet of Christ, amen? amen. They, they say if you speak a man to fill his belly, but excuse me, to fill his soul, but don't bring him something to fill his belly, he can't hear you because he's so hungry. So we're going to be buying a boat. We're helping to restore a community center by which young kids will be able to get medical attention. This will all happen in the first week of June. We thank you for your prayers. There's a number of young people from this church that are going. And as we met with them this past week, I met with the lead doctor. They're actually here in Arizona right now. And I sat down and I met with them. We were talking about everything we were going to do. So you don't have to force Jesus for God to open doors. And as we were talking, we're finishing up our sushi because that's what you do when you want to host somebody. You take them to sushi. That was a suggestion. If you want to host me, eat up, take me to sushi. 
Was that subliminal enough? I wanted to keep it inconspicuous so nobody else saw what we were doing. So we're sitting there eating sushi, and when we come to the end, she says this, can you preach to the people in the villages? I said, well, absolutely. Not a matter of fact, not only I will preach, I'm going to take 100 preachers with me. And they got really excited because she said, the community center that we're at, let's turn it into a church. So, which young people are here going to be going to Brazil with us? I want you to put your hand up real quick. <laughs> Allie. Abby, anybody else? We got 100, actually 103 young people that are going to go. So get ready. You will be preaching the word of God. Can we pray for our young people that are headed there? See, God's bringing a revival to Gen Z. See, somebody asked me a while, a, a while back, why do you have young people preach so much on your crusades? How come you're not preaching more? I said, I'm tired of me. But I love it every time I see a young person who's 19, 18, 17, 16 years old. They stand up and say, I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? We want to give you the chance to do it. And we are excited for what's happening next month. We do ask that you keep us in your prayers. We're headed off to the nation of Kenya. Once again, we're, um, we will be breaking ground. This lovely church, this wonderful church helped contribute to building a water tower and is helping to contribute to an orphanage that we are building there uh, about 35 minutes outside of Nairobi. And I want you guys to know this. I want PFAC to know this, and I will send footage and video when we are there. We are going to be there to actually break ground on setting forms, pouring the foundations for the homes and the school. Not only that. But that water tower that this church helped pay for and raise money for, it will be running and pumping water by the time we get there next month. Isn't God good? Give yourselves a round of applause. Don't ever shy away from being a giving church. It is literally bringing life to that region. There's no water source in that area. And the water well that you help bring about is going to actually be bringing water to about 11,000 people in that area. You help do that. You help do that. God is good. And I'm saying all that to say this. Uh, throughout the course of the rest of this year, we're going to be logging a lot of miles. But God stirred something in my spirit when I was walking around in, in Rio, in a specific area called Baja de Tejuca, Rio, Brazil. And I was walking through the main corridor of that area of Rio. It's very big. There's 22 million people in Rio uh, Brazil and the area that we're going into is about a million and a half people. This is Baja, uh, um, Copacabana, all those areas are where the bay washes in to Brazil. And I was walking through the street. I got to say this, and I, I get emotional thinking about this. I was praying for Brazil because that's what you do when you go there. You pray for the country you are in. I've learned that. When you go there, it's spiritual warfare from the second we step foot off that airplane. The enemy don't like the gospel. Matter of fact, he hates it and he hates you more. And I was walking down the street, headed to a place to get something to eat. And I was praying. And you want to know something interesting? I was praying for Brazil. And God started awakening Phoenix in my heart. So I'm in the nation of Brazil praying for Phoenix. <laughs> I'm in South America praying for Phoenix. Praying for this city that we call home. I want us to go to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. There's a reason why. I'm saying this, Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. And it says this, And Caleb stilled the people 
before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. One more time. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. With the help of the Lord, I want to preach on something I've been seeing broadcasted for our church lately, and that is that we are entering into Mission Phoenix. Somebody give the Lord a round of applause. We are in Mission Phoenix. The first thing, there are, there are three things I want to discuss in regard to bringing about or setting the table for an appropriately successful mission. If we desire to see souls be saved and we'll get to the end about what we are declaring and the Lord has given our pastor a big vision. And I would rather have a pastor with a humongous vision than one with a little one. Dream big and we'll figure out how to get there. Amen. Uh, but the first thing we must do when we are considering accomplishing the task of a mission in a specific city is that we must first determine how we will speak, what we will speak, and what will be our declaration. So the first point is, number one, we need to plan a triumphant report. Somebody say plan a triumphant report. We can substitute triumphant for victorious. We can substitute that with successful. We can substitute that with progressive. We can pro substitute that with effective. But I want to call it triumphant because when you succeed and gain victory, you become one who triumphs. And in order to have a triumphant report, we must understand who we are writing this report for. And for that reason, we must understand the city that we are ministering to and looking for God to give us in our hands to conquer. Numbers chapter 13, verse 17 and 18 says this. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, Go up this, south, this way southward and go up into the mountain. Verse 18. And see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. Now, when he says to go up in the mountain and see the land, we've been to Israel a number of times. It looks a lot like Arizona. So I imagine what he's telling them. We've actually been to Canaan as well. That the landscape is very similar to ours. It's rocky in nature. There are hills that are chasing along the mountainside that you can stand in and peek. And I remember when we first moved here, we, it was right around Christmas time. We went up to Papago Park and looked through the hole, that big lookout. And from there, we were able to look at the entire south side of the city straight through to South Mountain. And that was one of the first times that we, being new inhabitants of the city, were able to see how big this city is. I discovered that there were two downtowns during that time. I discovered that South Mountain is the bottom and the top is somewhere about an hour north. So what is the city? We want to discover the city. We have to get ourselves to a place where we see the city from a high level perspective, which means that we have to sometimes pull ourselves out of the monotonous, redundant cycles that we sometimes live our lives in. Only thinking of ourselves, only concerned about our care. We cannot see the city if you don't see the city. Next thing is 
Moses said, find out who the people are. Who are the people of the Phoenix Metro? It is the second fastest growing metro in the United States. It's very quickly becoming also one of the most diversified metros in the United States. It has approximately now 4.86 million people in its metro. It's surrounded by three cities that have now close to a half a million people and four other cities that have over 250,000 people. The population of Phoenix alone is just under 2.8 million people of which more than half of them live in the south side of the city. So if we were looking for the best place to be at the best moment for the best area, we are in it. There is not a better mission field in this city than South Phoenix. If we were to say, Lord, take us to where the most money is, maybe we'd be up in Scottsdale or Paradise Valley. If we said, Lord, take us to the areas of the lowest crime, maybe we would be in Gilbert or South Chandler. But that's not the call of the church. We say, Lord, take us where the souls are. So he put Phoenix First Apostolic Church on 7th and Baseline in South Phoenix. So if it is our desire to reach people, we are in the right area, ladies and gentlemen. Who are the people in this area? We are a working class area. This area in South Phoenix as well as downtown South is, is a city, is an area that is primarily built up of working class, lower middle class and lower class individuals. There are needs in this area. It also has the highest concentration of homelessness in the entire metro. It also has the highest concentration of prostitution in the entire metro. It also has the highest concentration of crystal meth and fentanyl and crack in the entire metro. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't have to go to the other side of the world to find a mission field. We are in one. So who are the people? The people very strongly find themselves leaning towards the culture of the Southwest, its diet, its culture, its music, its colors. In every way, Arizona is proud of its culture, but it is also widely known for other things. It's known for its fatherlessness. It's the third highest rate in the United States of children that are born out of wedlock to single mothers. It also has the highest concentration outside of Baltimore and St. Louis of people that are battling with heroin addiction. This is the number one, as I've said it before, the number one trafficked highway of fentanyl and cartel activity is right here in South Phoenix. So who are the people? They are people of need. So if we were ever to design a church by which we could come service ourselves and find our own blessings we're in the wrong area of the city we're in the area of need God has called us here to South Phoenix not to build a museum but build a hospital and he's put us in the best area I'll say it the same way Jesse James said it when they asked him why he robbed banks he said because that's where the money is so why are we in South Phoenix because that's where the souls are why are we in South Phoenix? Because that's where the hurting are. 
Why are we in South Phoenix? Because that's where the needy are. I'm not begging on you if you're in South Phoenix. I'm a little jealous because you're right in the middle of the mission field. He says, are they strong or weak? It's a resilient people. I noticed that the second we moved here from California, they make them different in Arizona. They don't make them like Californians. Okay, okay, thank you. You don't have to add to that. I just... I went to go get a haircut on Friday and sat in a chair and the barbershop was 110 years old. 110 years old. I said, we're not in a salon right now. Her ball caps hanging from the ceiling. Jim cut my hair. Jim cut my hair. Jim. He asked me what I wanted one time. And he looked over at the guy in the other chair. He says, so you basically want it like that, but on you. Yes. And then I just shut my... He just shaves my head. <laughs> he cut my hair like I joined the military, man. He said, Brrr. but that's the people we are. We're a different people. And he said, go and check who dwells therein and is strong and weak and few are many. So let me ask us a question. Do we know the people of Phoenix? Do we engage with the people of Phoenix? Do we talk to the people of Phoenix? We love the people of Phoenix, not hypothetically, literally, not in theory, in action, not in the roundabout way by which we say, yes, we love people, not in the roundabout way by which some say they love donuts. I literally love donuts, not hypothetically, not figuratively, literally. I love them so much. I'm always a little upset that they have holes in them. Because that means I got robbed of just a little bit of that glory. And I want it full measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So we order Boston cream, because not only does it not have holes, it's stuffed with more. Literally. Literally. That also was subliminal. <laughs> Feel free, let the Lord use you. You ever want to come over our house unannounced, show up with donuts. <laughs> I don't care what time it is. Just make sure they're Bosa. <laughs> A bad donut's like what I'm about to get into next. An evil report can kill revival. An evil report kills revival. See, it's interesting that he starts off by saying, before you give me a report, spy the land. We can't make declarations of things unless we know the things that we are declaring. We cannot speak of what we can do unless we know the thing that we plan on doing. One of the heartaches of the church or one of the things that's the stumbling block of Christianity in America is that sometimes it becomes so self-serving that it's not self-observant in the right areas, which means that we sometimes become ignorant of the things that are around us and therefore we begin to ask God for things that don't really matter. Because we're not aware of what's around us or who is around us. A man sitting on a bench complains about how bad his feet hurt until he looks over at the other man who had no feet and says, at least you have feet. In many respects, American contemporary Christianity suffers from the same thing. We complain about our sore feet when another has no legs. But being aware of what's around us allows us to be able to now put together the right declaration of what we are going to do. 
If, let me ask you a question to start this the right way. If you had to choose between being blessed or seeing one other person saved and going to heaven, what would you choose? So why do we always pray for one and not the other? If we would, if we would in literalness much rather see someone give their lives to Christ, why do we often spend so much time praying about the things we need? That's a real question. Why do we spend so much time on our hurts and pains and suffering? I'm not saying not to, but the best way sometimes to deal with our issues is to help others. Sometimes our, our preview of what we see in our lives ain't that bad when we look at someone else who's suffering. It'll change your whole insight of your relationship with God. If, if you can walk away on a day and it's saying, say, Lord, bless me more, you just say, man, I'm blessed. Man, I got more than I could ever need. Now I'm at a point. Can anybody say that real quick and just say, you know what? I know I have needs, but God is giving me more than I ever deserve. He's given me so much that now I'm asking for things over that. Come on, can somebody just thank God say, I've never had to starve. I've never been without clothes. I'm able to get here to church. So a shifting in the mindset changes the report. And here's the thing that becomes powerful about a church is that we no longer write individual reports. Being in unity means we write the same report. That doesn't just mean the same general goal. That means that we have the same professions, the same declarations, and the same proclamations together. The Bible says that in the book of Acts, they had all things in common. One of my very good friends in Israel actually lives in a kibbutz where they literally have all things in common. And he says, I live in the true book of Acts church because I bring my money back so that those that don't have can have. But an evil report kills revival. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 31 says this. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Caleb brought one report. The other 10 brought a different report. That's not unity. And unity brings about bad things and it kills revival. Let me say that again. An evil report kills revival. The Bible says that, that negative speech, you can also, in the word of God, it's called gossip. But actually in the Greek, it's not necessarily gossip. It's slander. Come on. It's bad things. It's negative things. Kill revival. Oh, let, let, let me say this the right way. If you ever want to kill revival in the church, just speak badly about your church. If you ever want to kill revival in your generation, speak badly about your generation. You ever see a family that's suffering? One of the first questions you got to ask is, how do they speak in their house? Uh, you ever go to a house that's contentious and quarreling and families that are fighting and couples that are always fighting with each other? You don't got to look no further than how do they talk to each other and about each other? Oh, my God. 
If there was ever a, a revival we really need in the church, and I'm not just talking PFAC, I'm saying the church period, is that we need to learn to rebuke the spirit of negativity, the slandering spirit, the spirit of gossip, the one that wants to talk bad. We ain't got time for that. We won't see revival with a negative report. Can somebody just say, keep your evil report? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to, I don't want you to talk to me about it. I'm not interested. Don't text me. Don't call me. Don't put it on. On Facebook, I don't want to hear it. Because an evil report kills revival. And what's the result of an evil report? Aimless wondering. Uh, I, one, of, one of the things that you get to gain when you, when you travel, myself, Pastor Anthony, Pastor Rusi, Bishop, we've been able to see a lot of different churches. As you can tell a lot. And, and I'm, I'm saying this discretion, with discretion and respectfully. You can tell a lot about a church just by listening to how people talk. Am I right, Pastor? How they greet people. How they talk to each other. How they walk in the church. That's true. It's just me and Jesus. I don't care about anybody else. That's not what the word said. Well, I, I'm okay, but those people, they got problems. And if we just, da, 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 if we just change this, did that, switch this, do that, everybody wants to sit on the throne until it's time to run the kingdom. But an evil report kills revival. You want revival in your family? Start speaking good. Instead of cursing each other, bring blessing to each other. Huh? You, 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 you want your daughter to think she's beautiful? Tell them they're beautiful. Speak positive things and you'll see positive results. Yeah, that's a motivational speech for a second. You want good results? Speak good things. It's that simple. An evil report kills revival. The ten of them bringing an evil report caused an entire generation to die in the desert. So when some ask, why is there not revival in the church, the question is, what report did you write? What did your speech say? Oh, my God. See, what you say matters. See, watch this. Did you know this? And this is hard, hard to say, but praise God, I'm in the right church to say it. You speak good things. You know what happens? Love is birthed out of good things. But when you speak evil things, demons grab a hold of your speech. Would we think differently before we said something negatively if we knew that devils were literally waiting to grab your words and use them? Might make us think twice for a second, huh? An evil report kills revival because it empowers the plan of the enemy. So if we are going to have the first revival, let it be a revival of positivity. Can you look at three people real quick and tell them, I love you. I'm here for you. I support you. You're awesome. I'm glad you're here. The church is better with you. I love you so much. It, doesn't that feel good? That just feels good, right? You ever been around negative people and try to get stuff done? Oh my gosh. I told someone one time, you're exhaust. I love you, but you're exhausting. I'm just saying, say that again. 
I'm just saying. Say that again. I'm just saying. Okay, let me take, let me take saying and put a synonym in there. You're just talking. Revival is not just talk. It's declarations to what God can bring. Let's keep going. So that, that's, that's the next thing. An evil report kills revival. So what's the third thing we need to do? Excuse me. In, in, in being able to, de- to plan a triumphant report, we have to develop a spirit of Caleb. Now, Caleb's name means holy tenacity. And tenacity means he's got guts. He's got fervency. He's got valiancy. When someone says, let's do it, Caleb just does it. Uh, Anybody got those friends? Bro, this would be awesome. They're already there. They're already there, right? I remember being in Thailand and my buddy's like, bro, we should uh, get in the cage with tigers. I'm like, I'll one-up you. Let's hug them. (laughs) I don't know if I recommend that. It kind of (laughs) hurts. I got elbowed in the head with the tiger. That is forever going to be a lifelong story. It explains so much. (laughs) All the damage that happened to Isai because of it. God's good. We're not going to go there today. I love you. A good report. (laughs) Don't feel sorry for him. Don't feel sorry. (laughs) Numbers chapter 13 verse 30 says this. And Caleb, what did I, it's the first one in red. And Caleb stilled the people. That means that amidst chaos, Caleb stops them. Oh my gosh. See, you, you, you want to know how powerful it is. How powerful would it be if you developed a Caleb spirit in the church? That when there's instability, when people are nervous, when they're anxious, when they're, they're going back and forth, you're the one who steals them. That goes, hold on, hold on. We are victorious. No, but, but this is what's going on in my life, and this is what's happening, and this is what, no, 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 hold on. We are able to overcome it. Oh, no, no. But I don't know if we're going to get it. I don't know if we're going to be approved. I don't know if we're going to. No, 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 no. We will possess it. We need some Caleb's in the house. Somebody can make some declarations to somebody. Come on. I wish somebody would look at somebody else and say, you're going to get that job. You're going to have that baby. Your baby's going to come back to Christ. We need some Caleb's in the house. Some tenacity in the spirit. Whew. We talk about masculinity in America. In many respects, the church has lost its masculine spirit. Well, we got to be soft. Jesus was a carpenter. He didn't make blankets. He made doors for people to walk through. Ah, He didn't make carpets. He made tables for people to eat at. And not only was he a carpenter with wood, but most carpenters also work with stone. And that is why he's called the chief cornerstone. And we need to find in this age that Caleb spirit of possession. And I mean the right one. See, we're possessed by a spirit too. We're possessed by the Holy Spirit filled with fire and the Holy Ghost. And we need to let that spirit speak more often. 
Come on, we'll let somebody else bring out this sissified vanilla doctrine. I want to speak with the fire of the Holy Ghost. And I want to know, is there somebody else here that says, I'm not holding back. I'm not sitting down. I'm not shutting up. This ain't sissified. This is a God that cast out devils that call him master. Oh, come on. We need some Caleb's in the house that can rebuke some spirits that have been attacking some families, been attacking some people, and say, nope, not in this house. We're Caleb's, and in this house, we're tenacious. Come on, I want to hear a roar for a second. I don't have a sissy Jesus. I don't have a soft God. I got a real God, a real powerful God, a mighty God, a terrible God, a just God, the almighty one. A tenacious spirit. Everybody's saying, calm down. I don't want to calm down. It's time to man up with this thing. It's time to man up with the gospel. Well, you might offend someone. The Bible says if they're offended by you, they were offended by me first. Well, they might hate me. If they hate you, they hated him first. Well, it might take me to a place where I'm not popular. It took him all the way to the cross. A Caleb spirit in the church. Let me, let me, let me, let me get through here. Let me get through here. The next thing we must do, and I'll say this quickly. Is the first one is write a triumphant report. The next one is that we must break the strong man. That's why I talked about the spirit of Caleb. You cannot bring blessings with devils in the house. I, I know that don't sound right to popular Christianity, but that's biblical. You can't bring holy things into unholy environments. So the next thing we must do is break the strong man. Mark chapter 3 verse 27 says this, no man, watch this, can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man. Then he will spoil his house. So in breaking the strong man, what must we do? We must battle in the spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says what? For we wrestle. Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And let me tell you this, passivity does not cast out devils. I've seen it myself. We've casted out devils and it don't come out because you say, pretty please, leave us alone with a cherry on top. That means you lost and you are fully oppressed. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities. Now watch. Even if you don't believe in it, it believes in you. Even if you don't pay attention to it, it pays attention to you. There are two worlds that we live in. The seen world and the unseen world. The natural world and the supernatural world. And I'll tell you this. We can't sing a song good enough. We can't put a light bright enough. We can't play music great enough. And I love all of it, by the way. Great job today. But you can't do anything in its natural practice that will be more effective than your prayer life in spiritual practice. As a matter of fact, the strongest devils, Jesus said, these ones come out only by prayer 
and fasting. Why do you think they called the Ashbury Revival a revival? It's because they were praying. In the upper room, they were praying. The second revival, the first revival is a revival of a good report. The second revival is a revival of prayer. I'll say this now. This is going to sound hard to say, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Any Christian in America that can spend on average five hours on social media but can't spend five minutes in prayer, that is sin. Let me say it better. How about before you even pick the phone up, you pray? How about before you worried about what CNN or Fox News or MSNBC said, let's see what thus saith the Lord in the morning. Come on, it's time we have a prayer revival, a fasting revival. Come on, I'm tired of talking so much. I'm tired of just words coming out. I need a revival where the Holy Ghost just flows sometimes. I need a revival in my life where my prayer doesn't work. Sometimes it's got to be. Come on, I wish we'd have a prayer and Holy Ghost revival to the point where it's not a question of who's speaking in tongues. It's then a question of who's not speaking in tongues. I wish we could have 20 seconds of just a Holy Ghost outpouring. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, let it flow for a little bit. You don't know. Maybe somebody will get the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, I wish someone would stand just for 20 seconds. Let the Holy Ghost flow out of you. Woo, come on, come on, come on. If you're going to break the strong man, you can't do it in the flesh. Come on, there's some strong men in our lives. And you're trying to break it with your wisdom. You're trying to break it with your intellect. You're trying to break it with your strategy. You ought to just let the Holy Ghost break it for you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, don't look at me smart. Don't look intently. Let the Holy Ghost flow. That's right. We are an apostolic church. We're a tongue-talking, devil-stomping, chandelier-swinging, aisle-running Holy Ghost church. We run the aisles. We jump up and down. We're holy rollers. We're crazy Pentecostals. You doggone believe it? I wish somebody would act Pentecostal just for a second. Brother, I don't know if I'm as apostolic as you. You can be. Get with the program and let the Holy Ghost move in your life. I'll say it plainly. If you got the Holy Ghost but you don't let it flow in your life, don't you even ask God for one thing. Because he says, if you want me to heal your home but you can't seek my presence, I'm not invited in your house yet. Come on, you know what you can do at church? You can speak in tongues. You can pray. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Ten more seconds. Let's hurry up, let's hurry up, let's hurry up. Woo, God. Woo. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the weapon you are using right now is not a sword of the flesh. Don't use your carnal weapons to fight spiritual things. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Watch this. I wish somebody would just stay standing. But are mighty. 
even to the pulling down of strongholds. You don't break the strong man in your life in the flesh. You break it in the spirit. Come on, I still feel that. I feel the Holy Ghost moving. You want me to tell you something? Eagles don't fight snakes on the ground. They go higher. They go to a place where the snake can't breathe, where the snake can't slither, and then it drops it back where it came from. Ooh, you want to break the strong man in your life? Get up there. Get in the spirit. Get in the Holy Ghost. Let it flow through you. Oh, my God. Battle in the spirit. Let me get through this quick because I feel the Holy Ghost. We must use the power of praying and fasting for our city if we want Mission Phoenix to succeed. Jonah chapter 3 verse 5 says, So the people of Nineveh, these were pagan people. The people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Look at Jonah chapter 4 verse 11. And should I, this is God speaking, and should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, 60,000 people that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, also much cattle. What he's saying is, is that if a pagan people that don't know me can declare my name, pray and fast, that's the response Jonah was there to declare that they would be destroyed in 30 days. And then he went and got the best seat in the house to watch the city fall. And instead of it falling, a pagan city that didn't know God began to pray and fast. And God spared the city. Here's the next thing. Mission Phoenix, P of AC, we need to pray for the city of Phoenix. We need to pray and fast for this city. Someone says, I pray and fast for my church. That's right. We're not a church of walls. We're a church of Phoenix. Pray and fast for the city. Put that in your prayer. Write it in your prayer. Pray for the souls. Pray for the, for, the, for the mayor and the city council. Pray for everything that involves this city. Put it in your prayer. Pray for the city. The next thing is that the incoming, wounded, hurting, addicted, and bound must be welcomed. Well, I know that was a little uncomfortable to some, so I'm going to say it again. The incoming, if we want True revival, God sends his hurting people. And when they come in wounded, hurting, addicted, and bound, it is, our, it is our job to love them. It is our job to welcome them. Maybe they don't know that Pastor Cristo means praise the Lord. Maybe they don't know how to dress the way that we dress. Or, or they don't know the lyrics to the songs that we know. Or they don't know when to jump or stand or sit 
or lay or whatever have you. Maybe they just walk up to the altar whenever that is. We need to love them, welcome them with open arms, save them a seat, tell them, come here, sit by me. I love you. The hurting, incoming, those that are addicted. Well, they shouldn't be in the church. They're addicted. You don't think God can break heroin? You don't think God can break crack? I don't know. They look leery. They look like they're about to commit a crime. You don't think God can save criminals? You don't think, oh, well, well, I don't know. They look like a gangbanger. You don't think God can deliver gangbangers? I got one right there. I got another one there. Well, I don't know. They don't look like us. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Come on, somebody say, God, bring them. Bring them hurting. Bring them addicted. Bring them bound. Bring them suffering. Bring them in. Well, I don't know. Their kids don't behave. I know, I know, I know. But watch when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of them. Look at that. Ooh, you got to welcome them. See, when you pray for souls, God sends hurting. How do I know that? Because he said, I'd come not for you. I've come for the hurting and the brokenhearted, the bondage. So you want to know what we need to start yearning for? We need to start yearning for the hurting. We need to start yearning for the broken. We need to start crying for them. Not just that God would deliver them out there, but that they would come. Well, well they don't look like they've had a shower for three days. So take them to go take one. Well, I don't know if they got clothes. Buy them some clothes. You know, and I'm not saying this for, for any, you know, recognition, but I, I realized how much of an impact it made on my kids' lives. One time, they had just picked me up from the airport. I was wearing a coat, and I was wearing a really, I love that coat. Tree bought it for me, and, and man, I love that jacket. And we're driving, and we pull up to the side of the, of, of the highway. We're, we're coming up to an off-ramp. There was a man that was homeless, and he had no jacket on, and it was raining on him. And I, I took out my jacket, and I said, give this to that man. I said, come here, come here. And we give him this jacket. That man, I love that jacket. You ever give something away you really love and go, man, I just gave away that thing I really love. <laughs> but you want to know what I love more than that jacket? The testimony it provided for my children. Because they said, Daddy, we know you're a giving guy because you gave him your jacket. You want to know when God can trust us? When we can give what we have to the hurting. Were we not all hurting? Are we not still hurting? Were we not all wounded? Are we not still wounded? Were we not all suffering? Are we not still suffering? When the church becomes so proud that it doesn't have time for souls, it stops being the church. Matter of fact, the quickest way to chase God out of a fellowship is to chase souls out of the church. Because when his spirit abides, there's deliverance. But if we send away those who are bound, then God's like, I don't need to be here. So why are we seeing revivals on street corners in universities? Let me say this the right way. Not this church, but too many churches in America stop helping the hurting. And they became concerts, motivational speeches. You know, everything God delivered us from, and we just regurgitated it right back out. And then we say, God, give us revival. And God says, revival 
is not for the things you tried to fake life with. It's when you help the hurting find life again. Let me finish this up. Let me finish this up. That wasn't for our church. That was for some person. What's the last thing we must do if we can, Brother Jay? If we are to accomplish the mission that our pastor has set out to do, which I believe is firmly from the Holy Spirit, I believe it. 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 I've seen hundreds of people baptized in one day. You want to know why I believe it? I've seen it all throughout this planet. I've seen God heal 90 people in one prayer. Not one service, one prayer. I've seen 48 people get baptized in a river full of mud and they couldn't wait anymore. I've seen people jump in the bathtub saying, God deliver us. Watch, here's the last part if we can. The last thing that we need to do is become mission-minded. Someone once asked me, what does mission-minded mean? Every young person, every single young person that goes with us on a trip, this is our mentorship program. Become mission-minded. Not for the trip, for your life. Go home and become mission-minded. I said this a couple of years ago at a conference I was invited to speak at about evangelistic moves. And I said, I believe that if we get to heaven and we accomplish perfection, but we don't accomplish the mission, God will be disappointed. But if we, in all of our imperfect ways, scratched and bloody, hurting and wounded, fall our way into heaven but with a hammer and chisel fulfilling the work of the gospel he will say well done good and faithful servant if we are to accomplish what our pastor has laid out we need to become a mission minded church not a me minded church a mission minded church I said this before the mission matters more than your ministry the mission matters more than anything else you could bring around it. It matters more than your gifting. It matters more than your talent. It matters more than our podiums. It matters more than the chairs we are sitting in, the carpet we are standing on. The mission is what we are called to accomplish. Someone asked me this when we were sitting at a restaurant, Pastor Anthony. We were actually at the boiling crab. They're eating. And I'm sitting down. And I just start talking about, I'm that guy that will talk about Jesus anywhere. I get it from my mom. I will talk, I will talk about God any, anywhere. I'll talk about the word anywhere. I don't care. I don't care. Thank God he made me an evangelist. I don't care. And we're sitting there and they're eating lunch. And one of the young men goes, bro, do you always have to be preaching? No, I'm serious. He's like, we're just trying to eat some crab, bro. No, I'm serious. And I go, okay. But let me ask you a question. Do you ever preach? I'm talking about the pulpit. I said, I'm not preaching behind a pulpit right now. We're in a restaurant. Somebody can hear us at the other table. That's my goal. Matter of fact, I'm not even trying to talk to you, you knucklehead. I'm trying to get them to listen. 
I know, I know. Like, well, you didn't have to say that to him. It's time for us to wake up and be mission-minded. We should have the Holy Ghost. We, I was in Pahrump, Nevada. I'm almost done. I was in Pahrump, Nevada a couple weeks ago. And we're, eat, we're eating breakfast. And, I, and we just start talking about Jesus. Actually, I had Brother Uciel with me. And I tell Brother Uciel, like, bro, I, I hope you're okay talking about God everywhere, bro. Because, like, everywhere. We were at a steakhouse in a casino. I was talking about Jesus. What did Paul say? That I might save Mission-minded. How do we become mission-minded? Just two minutes. If we can stand, let's. How do we become mission-minded? And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. I'll tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. We got to finish you. I'll tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. As soon as I'm done, I'm handing over to Pastor. As soon as I'm done, I'm handing over to Pastor. There are three things we must know. First one is that everywhere is a mission field. Let me say that again. Everywhere is a mission field. Let me say that again. Everywhere is a mission field. Your work is a mission field. Your school is a mission field. Your Theo's house is a mission field. Huh? Starbucks is a mission field. Outside is a mission field. Are we getting it yet? Everywhere is a mission field. Across the world or across the street. Everywhere is a mission field. I've seen people get the Holy Ghost on a sidewalk in front of a 7-Eleven in downtown San Jose after shooting up heroin. Everywhere is a mission field. Two. What's the second thing? The mission becomes the culture and the culture is the mission. The shift of why we are changes. Jesus only really gave us two jobs. Two. One was to preach the gospel unto all the world. Two was to make disciples. That is to preach the gospel. This is to make disciples. Say it again. That is one of his commissions this is the other one and the last thing we must do as I invite pastor is we must even now declare that a thousand souls will come to Christ in Jesus name through this church When Pastor released that at New Year's, I felt the Holy Ghost. I told him, I, I went from getting excited, I just bowed my head and started praying. That means we got work to do. God needs us. Our pastor needs us. Mission becomes the culture, and the culture is the mission. This is what I told him after church. Pastor, I felt the Holy Ghost when you said that so powerfully. Watch this. Someone says we can't do it. Watch this. That's 20 souls a month for five years. You tell me that a group of over a thousand Holy Ghost filled believers 
can't bring 20 people to Christ per month, I say we can do even better than that. And I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm so glad we had that altar call before because I feel a declaration happening. I want to invite our, can we, can we just do this just before he comes up? He just celebrated his first year anniversary as our pastor and, and his wife. And I, I just want to say this. I said this last week when Pastor George was here and we were eating lunch. And I said, you know what? I just thank God for the example that this man has been in this season of his life, the anointing that's on his life. I don't always get the microphone, so I'll say it when I do. We love you so much. Can somebody hear? As he makes his way up, can you say, Pastor, we are with you. 1,000 souls in Jesus' name. Pastor, come on, come on, come on, come on. Keep it coming as he makes his way up.